0: to encapsulate the mission of this church, it would be in five words. Help you make life count. That, that's what it's all about. That's why we come here every week. That's why we do what we do. That's why we go through all the investment of time and energy and money. Help you make life count. As that little video just demonstrated, we've got one chance at life. And and when this life is over, it is over. And we need to constantly be reminded that we're going to spend a whole lot more time on the other side of this life than we are in this life. And what we've got is a, a, for the most part, is an imbalance in so many people's lives because so many people are, are focusing more on this life than they are in the life to come. We've been talking about a new series, Outrageous. And you know, what is your spiritual journey characterized by? How would you characterize your relationship with Jesus Christ? Is it a very formal, ritualistic relationship? You come to church and you do the things you're supposed to do at church. Or is it a very numbing, boring, kind of check the box thing? You know, I've got to do this and I know I've got to to do what's right. If, if that characterizes your walk with Christ, then you are not living the life Jesus has called you to live. You are not living the life that you have been engineered to live because we're not supposed to live that kind of life. We're supposed to live an outrageous life. And so we've been taking the last couple of weeks some of the outrageous claims and some of the outrageous challenges by Jesus that he wants us to embrace with our life. Now, the first week we talked about the outrageous claim that Jesus makes that the non-Christian world just cannot seem to deal with, and that's that Jesus is the only way. But Jesus said it himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, because we believe Jesus is God, and because we believe Jesus only speaks the truth, our response to that outrageous claim is Paul's response in Romans 1 We stand with Paul and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. We believe that Jesus is the only way. So the most sensitive thing that we can do, the most loving thing that we can do, is hold true to what Jesus taught about himself. Now, we need to do that in a loving, compassionate, caring, sensitive manner. But we don't need to dip our flag. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one is going to come to the Father except through him. Last week, we looked at an outrageous challenge that Jesus has put in our lives as the believers in Jesus Christ, as Christians, and that is to love our enemies. That's just outrageous. And we don't have time to repeat everything we talked about and we learned last week, but we discovered that we're supposed to love our enemies through what the Greeks called agape love, and that is unconquerable benevolence invincible goodwill so when we think of our adversaries when we think of those folks in our lives that we just dread walking in the room when they're there Jesus's outrageous challenge to us is to treat them and respond to them with unconquerable benevolence with invincible goodwill pretty outrageous huh But we serve an outrageous Savior who has called us to live an outrageous life, but it's all for a purpose. Now today, I want to look at another outrageous challenge that Jesus places on our lives. And that's this. He says that you got to lose your life to save it. He said it in Matthew 16, 25, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Now, what's Jesus talking about? Is he calling us to some radical Christianity? Is he calling us to martyr ourselves for the cause of Christ? Or is he calling us to be some kind of uh, of a radical Christian cult that all commits suicide to bring glory to the name of Jesus? Is that what he means by lose our life? Not at all. What he's talking about is what we've been talking about and what we're trying to embrace as believers and really understand so that we can apply it to our life. The analogy that we've been using is what's happening right now in the life of Kate Middleton, who became Prince William's wife, the wife of the future King of England. In the picture on the screen, you have a beautiful picture of Kate on her wedding day. The wedding ceremony's finished now. She's in the royal carriage, and she's uh, riding through the streets of London. People are cheering, and they're just celebrating the wedding of of, uh, Prince William's and Princess now Kate. Now, she's in her beautiful white wedding gown, and she has her veil on, but it's pulled back now because the ceremony's over, and she's giving the princess wave from the carriage, and she's got that beautiful electrifying smile that we've come to, to, to characterize her by. But in reality, her wave is not hello. Her wave is goodbye. Because she's waving goodbye to the life she may have imagined for herself. She may have wanted to be been a teacher. Well, she's not going to be a teacher. Wave goodbye to that. Maybe she's an entrepreneur. She wanted to start her own business and be a CEO. Well, wave goodbye to that because that's not going to happen as a member of the royal family. See, when she married into that family... She had to forsake the lifestyle she may have dreamed about as a child, and she now has to assume the responsibilities and, in return, the rewards and opportunities of being a member of the royal family. Well, that's exactly what happens to every single man and woman who trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior. We looked at it, 2 Corinthians 5.17. said, when you're in Christ, all things are new. The old is gone, the new has come. John 1.12 says, Yet to as many as received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you know how the Bible describes the church? Not, not the building, not the denomination, but the people, because that's really the church. You're the church. You're sitting in a building, but you're the church. The Bible describes the church, the believers, as the bride of Christ. Just like Kate is the bride of William and now assumes that royal responsibility that the family lives for and their purpose, we as the bride of Christ assume the responsibilities of our husband, Jesus Christ. And that's the life we're to live out of. And the life that we may have dreamed for ourselves, we fortunately don't have to totally abandon, but we need to maintain balance in the life that we're living and the life that is to come. Now, the problem is we're not doing a very good job at that. The problem is that most of us are absorbed with this life. It gets most of our attention. It gets most of our energy. It gets most of our time. It gets most of our resources. There's very little balance going on. There's very little thought of the life to come. Even though we are frequently reminded that the life to come is the one that we're preparing for here. It's the one that lasts forever. That's a lot longer than 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, even 100 years, isn't it? And yet we live for this life. We live for what we can accumulate, and for relationships, and and for that next exit that might be our, our dream job or our dream opportunity. And we get lost in this life. We get caught up in this life to the neglect of the life to come. you got to lose your life, Jesus says, to save it. Now notice that he doesn't say you got to lose your life to find it. He uses a much stronger word than find. He says you've got to lose your life so that you save your life. See, because Jesus is targeting our total life. Jesus understands that the next exit isn't our dream job, our dream opportunity, the next exit in a blink of an eye is going to be eternity. And those of us who are growing a little older and grayer all the time, and we're looking back at life now more than we're looking forward to life, understand how brief life is, how fast it goes. It's here, and as Bible describes, it's like a mist that appears for a moment and then it's gone. Now, here's what we need to understand. Here's what you need to understand in trying to restore some balance to your life. In this idea of losing your life so you can save it. Now, we, we lose it in a way by, by believing in only Jesus Christ, and there's no other ways. We lose our life by loving our enemies. But here's the other thing we need to understand. You need to understand that you were created to serve. Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's workmanship. What do workers do? They work, right? Created in Christ Jesus, and otherwise adopted into the royal family for a purpose, and that purpose is what? To do good works. To do good works. We have a purpose, and that purpose is to do good works for the kingdom. Now, we can do that alongside some of the other things that we're investing in. But primarily our purpose as members of the royal family is to do good works. Now, I know a lot of folks are saying, "Well, I know that can work for some people because God has really given a lot of talents to some people." But that day I must have been missing. I must have taken a lunch break or something because I can't do anything. Not true. He goes on to say in that same verse, Ephesians 2:10, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You, as you have heard me say before, are not a mistake. You are engineered by God. You are unique. There is no other individual who has ever lived who is exactly like you. There's no one else living right now who is exactly like you. You are unique. God created you. And God gave you, as he gave everyone else, some natural abilities, some natural skills. That's why there's some things in life that come very easy to you. There's some things in life that you really are challenged with and have to work hard at. And you've sensed that since you were just a little child. Because God engineered you that way. But God has engineered you to have those special talents and abilities... And he prepared in advance, in advance, how far in advance? When you were in your mom's womb, the Bible says God knit you together for a purpose, and that purpose is to serve. Now, you're also gifted to serve. Once you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, in addition to the natural gifts that God has given you, he now gives you spiritual gifts. The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, what is that verse saying? That verse is saying that God is not rubber stamping believers. Jesus isn't rubber stamping. We are not on an assembly line all coming out the same. We don't come out and get saved and we're all going around, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. We are all unique and we all have different talents. We all have different skills and we have all Different spiritual gifts. But he ends that verse by saying, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? The common good. Now Jesus outrageously declares to us that whoever wants to save his life will lose it. See opposite true. He's saying, those who, who make this life everything. Those who invest all their time, all their energy, all their resources. The predominance of everything is about this life, how far we can go, how much we can get. Are actually in the process of losing their life. See, it says in Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will, look what it says, reward each person. That means you. That means you, that means you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Each person. He's going to deal with each person individually. He's not going to come down and say, how'd you do Florida Bible Church? He's not going to come down and say, how did you do Baptists? How did you do Presbyterians? How did you do Lutherans? He is going to have an individual experience with every single person. And it says he's going to reward them, what? According to what he has, what? What? Now, is Jesus being arrogant? Is he being obtrusive into our life? Is Jesus some kind of a cosmic control freak? Bow before me, grovel before me. Lose your life for my sake. Is that what it's all about? Not at all. Let me show you the heart of Jesus in this. It was the last night of his life before he would be crucified. He begins the evening in the upper room with his disciples and as Jews, they're celebrating the Passover feast. Now, Jesus knows that Judas has already struck a deal with the religious leaders of of Israel and he's gonna be betrayed that night. Jesus is gonna leave the the upper room after singing a hymn and gonna go into the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is gonna ask his disciples to to pray while he goes away and prays privately and he's gonna fall on his face before God and he's gonna be overcome with anxiety. And the Bible says he's gonna pray so earnestly and with, with 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 such anxiety that he begins to sweat blood and he prays to his father if there's any other way if it's possible for this cup to pass from me god father take it away from me finally he resolves that there is no other way and he accepts that he's going to die on the cross he's going to get up from that prayer only to be greeted by judas and betrayed with the most intimate symbol that human beings have for love and that's a kiss He's going to be taken to the high priest Caiaphas' house. He's going to be beaten all night long. The next day, he's going to be taken to Pilate. Pilate's going to present him before his own people, and they're going to reject him. He'll be scourged, and he'll ultimately be stripped, humiliated, and crucified on a cross. Now, none of this is coming as a surprise to Jesus. Jesus is in full cognizance of what is about to happen. It says in John, chapter 13, verse 1, It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed the full extent of his love. Jesus knew this was the last night. Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew it was time for him to leave and to go be back with the Father. And Jesus did as we would do if we had that same knowledge. Jesus wanted to show those he loved, in this case, his disciples, the full extent of how much he loved them. You would do the same thing, so would I. If somehow God revealed to us that this was it, this was the last day we had, that this was the last opportunity that we had before we passed from this life into the next. I guarantee you, we wouldn't be worried about the Dolphin Game. We wouldn't be worried about the Ryder Cup. We wouldn't be worried about some picnic. We wouldn't worry about shopping. What we would do is we would try to get a hold of and gather as many of those as we love, close to us, and everything we said and everything we did would have huge, huge impact. Now, that's where Jesus is at. He wants to show his disciples the full extent of his love. Now, understand, as it says in verse 3, that Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew that he wasn't who people were saying he was, nor who people today say he was, looking back. He knew he wasn't just some kind of a good teacher. He knew he wasn't just another religious leader. He knew he was the Son of God. He knew he had come from the Father and that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew that he didn't have to go to the cross. In fact, Jesus himself said, no man takes my life. He said, don't you think right now that I couldn't call to the Father and he would send 12 legions of angels to rescue me? He said, no one takes my life. I give it freely. He knew who he was. But in verse 4, John 13 says, So he got up from the meal, took off his clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he, began, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What did Jesus do? He got up from that table. He got up from that Passover meal. He took off his, his coat, and he tied a towel around his waist, and he took a basin of water. And one by one, he kneeled before his disciples and took their their dirty, dusty, worn feet and washed them in the water and then took the towel and he wiped their feet dry. Verse 12 says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And he asked him a question. He said, do you understand what I have done for you. He didn't say, do you understand what I just did to you? He said, do you understand what I did for you? See, at this point in Jesus' relationship with his disciples and their relationship with each other, there was a lot of conflict going on. The disciples really never understood that Jesus had come to die on the cross. They fully believed at this time that Jesus was about to establish an earthly kingdom. That he was about to cast out the, the imperialist Romans who had, who had conquered and invaded their land. That he was going to overthrow the evil king on the throne of Israel. And that Jesus was going to establish his kingdom. And they believed that they were going to be his right hand men. And behind the scenes, not in front of Jesus, they began to compete with each other and argue with each other. Who was going to rule? Who was going to be the greatest? Who was going to serve who? Who? In fact, one of the mothers tried to cut a side deal with Jesus for her two sons. And Jesus now, knowing it's all about to end, calls them together, washes their feet, and he says, do you know what I just did for you? He explains it. He goes on to say in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. He says, you guys get it, I understand that. You know I'm not just some other religious leader. You know I'm just not some moral teacher. You understand. In fact, Peter, when Jesus asked, who do men say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter responded, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He got it. He knew who Jesus was. He said, and you you guys are right. That's who I am. And then he says in verse 14, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. He said, If I, your teacher, if I, your Lord, if I, the Christ, the Son of God, have bowed down and washed your feet, how much more should you wash each other's feet? He's saying, see, what he's saying is the family of God is not about being worshipped. The family of God is not about being exalted. The family of God is all about serving others. About humbling ourselves. Jesus says in verse 16, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. He goes on to say, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, Jesus' words were not just for his disciples. Jesus' words echo down through the centuries since he was crucified and he rose again. And today, they echo in this building here at 9300 Pembroke Road that we call Florida Bible Church. And he says, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand that you have been adopted into the royal family? Do you understand that that was only possible by me dying? And now he says, do you understand what the royal family is all about? See, service is another royal family value. It's what the royal family does. We enter the royal family through faith in Jesus alone. The calling card of the royal family is loving our enemies. And the purpose of the royal family is to serve, not to be served. Jesus concludes in John 13, 17, now that you know these things, now that you have been taught, now that it has been revealed to you, your position in the royal family and your purpose in the royal family, Jesus says, you will be blessed. Oh, and there's so many perks in the royal family. Oh, there's so many amazing opportunities in the royal family. And that's on this side of the grave. On the other side, the Bible says that we can't even imagine. He says, you'll be blessed, though, if, big two-letter word, if you do them. You've got to lose your life to save it. You were created to serve. What's holding you back? You were created to serve. If not now, when? You might say, it's too late for me. I'm too old. Noah was 600 years old when he entered the ark. I don't think you're near that yet. I'm too young. David was just a little boy when he slew the giant Goliath. It's not about you. It's about what God does through you. The only part that you play, the only part that I play, is yielding ourselves and embracing our royal purpose. I'm letting you out a little early today but I'm letting you out early for a purpose. Actually, three. One is that inside your bulletin is a little survey. Just, I think it's five questions long. It's not long. And I'm going to ask all of you to complete that survey before you leave today. and Just put it in one of the offering kiosks or, or drop it off at the, at the guest services station. But we need your feedback. We... The leadership, the staff of this church, we need to know how we can do a better job of helping you to make life count. Number two, because not everyone's going to be able to do everything at one time because of the size of the crowd today. The blood mobile's there. You can serve others by giving blood. But finally, we're going to give you an opportunity to put wheels to what we've learned today. Pastor Rusty's going to come and he's going to share what that opportunity is. But as he does, I want you to understand that you are not committing to anything this morning. All you're doing is reaching out to see where you may fit in to the family at 9300 Pembroke Road and what God would have you to do for him and for others through this ministry and this church. You'll have a chance to see where your natural abilities and your natural passions and your spiritual giftedness converge to make you perfect to serve the Lord in a number of different areas. You were created to serve. What's holding you back? you were created to serve if not now when pastor